Awesome. I'll do a bit of setup. Um, I just want to firstly welcome my family um, that come to support me, which is pretty cool. Um, Manny's going to come up and share the word this morning. Uh, sorry, the parable that I've got. So I'll invite Manny up. If you guys all want to stand in respect for that, and I'll do a little bit of organization up here. Today I'm reading Matthew 13, verses 31 to 32 in Māori and English. Tenei ake ano tahi kupu fakarite i maka e ia ki a ratau. E mia ia he rite te rangatiratanga o te rangi ki te pua nani. I kawea i te tangata i rua ki te anamarama. He iti rawa ia i ngā purapura katoa a ka tupu ko ia te nui rawa o ngā otatuota. A whakarakau ana no ki rere mai ngā manu, o te rangi ka noho ki ona manga. And then the English translation. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that all the birds can come and perch in its branches. Awesome. Man, that was awesome, man. Doing it today. Well done, Manny. Awesome. Cool. All right, you can grab a seat, guys. That's cool. Well done, Manny. Um, I firstly wanted to say I just showed my slides to Livy yesterday, and she told me off because she said this looks like toes. And and she hates feet, um, but if this is the mustard seed, this is actually a hand. So just to clarify that at the very, very beginning. Uh, you want to go to the next slide, Johnny? Oh, you got it there. That's cool. Uh, go back one, Johnny. Sweet. So I'll read it again. Oh, actually, go to the second one. Yeah, this is the, this is the parable we're speaking from, I'm speaking about today, which is the mustard seed. Um, this is a pause in the Rhythms of Grace series that uh, Nick and Amy started at the, briefly in the end of term two. Um, so I just wanted to start with a little bit of a quote from this guy called Mike Muzzalongo. Um, he's just a biblical teacher, and he just has a description of what a parable is. Um, so how he puts it, the word parable means the place beside. It, is signified, it signified the placing of two or more objects together in order to compare them. Um, in the New Testament, seen things are placed beside unseen things in order to reveal truth about them. It was a good teaching tool because it was easily understood by the uneducated and was more likely to be remembered. So if you go to the next slide, Johnny. Um, I'm going to answer these three questions as we go through it. Um, firstly, why does Jesus liken the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed? Second, what is the kingdom of God? And third, what are Jesus' steps to growth within that kingdom itself? So next slide, Johnny. Um, why, did the king, why does Jesus liken the kingdom of God to... Uh, mustard, and, and specifically a seed is the first one. Um, so when Alex did his parable, he talked about the weeds and the wheat, and Jesus explained that underneath, which I've got, I don't know if it's on that slide, no, I haven't put it on that slide. Oh, no, I have actually, sorry. Matthew 13, um, 37 to 38, he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the, feed is the, the field is the world, and the good seed is the son of the kingdom. So taking from that, the seed, we are the seed. So just very simply, to start off, we are the seed in the parable. And the, uh, the, it's kind of widely accepted, and I'm not, I'm not going to challenge it up here or just have a discussion about it, but the, the growth of the seed into a tree represents one, individuals, or two, 
a community of the Church of Jesus Christ. So that's, um, that's a comparison I'm just going to be okay with, and we're all going to be okay with as we move on through this. So um, to answer the question of the, um, why Jesus uses seed um, as well, um, is the second question, I think. If you go to the next slide, Johnny. Yeah, this one here. Cool. So um, the mustard, the imagery of a seed represents our growth, as we just talked about. Um, I enjoy listening to Tim Mackey. Um, Alex does as well. He's a pretty cool theologian. He has heaps of understanding, and he has a bit of a phrase that everything in the Bible can relate back to the first two pages, or Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. Um, he can probably do that because he has all of this depth of knowledge, and I didn't want to go searching just because he said for something and find something false and make some loose connection. But I went back and looked, and there was something quite obvious, which we'll get into in, in a second. Uh, but as a question for everyone going back to kids' church, and this is not rhetorical, so give me your answers, um, the land and the vegetation were created in one of the seven days, and what day was it created? Come on, guys. Three. Who said three? Yes, so you're right. Yeah. Well done. Day three. All right. Everyone was really ho hum about it. I was just as bad, so I didn't know that as well. So Jesus creates land and vegetation on day three. Um, and then the way I have always thought about day three is in the kids' Bible picture. Um, it springs up straight away. And you have trees, and I have that vivid memory of you know, those fluffy bushes and big purple flowers and all that sort of stuff. Um, but as we'll read, that's not exactly how it happened. So Genesis 2, verses 4 to 6. Um, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plants had yet sprung up. The Lord God had not sent rain, and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And below that, it talks about the creation of Adam. I should have probably just made it a smaller fonte. Um, so for Adam and Eve to actually work the surface of the ground. So now when I think about day three, that I've actually done a bit of research, day three is the creation of land and a whole bunch of seed placed under the ground, needing three things to actually bring them into the, oh, sorry, into the glory and the creation that God's intended. The first one, as it says here, is we need water. Um, we need water, we need some to water the ground, and then the third unspoken one here is actually time. You have to have time for growth, um, and we have to be able to accept that. Um, so when I think about water, water, water can represent lots of different things, and one of them in the Bible is the Holy Spirit, and I feel like it's the first thing God wanted to, um, me to emphasize. Um, John 7, 8 says, He who believes in me um, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And if I compare that to the mustard seed, um, if we are full of the Holy Spirit, we'll be, we will be able to grow into a, um, in a, into a tree um, and have from that all the fruit of um, being a big tree for everyone around us. And second, um, the worker and the soil that we are planted in, the first from that is we need to be grounded in a community that is led by Jesus. And that's just like what Nick and Amy were sharing about. Um, one of our values here at Kurimako is whanaungatanga, which is effectively relationship with each other and having a community. And I was going to do a mid-message plug. I actually highlighted it here. Mid-message plug. <laughs> join, a, uh, join a home group or doing something like that. They've just talked about how uh, the... What is it? Oh, 
the, the Myers are actually starting a home group. So if you're not in one, I encourage you to get into one. That's where life is. It's so good to do life together. And then the last thing needed, that we need to see uh, change is time. We have to have time with God, time in community, where we're getting fed and challenged by those around us. Um, in the Rhythms of Grace series that we're doing, emphasize that this is slow. It requires patience. It's hard sometimes, but it is so worth it. Um, if you go to the next slide, Johnny. Um, I've kind of changed the question slightly. Um, the reason for mustard, the plant, mustard as the seed in the story. Um, to me, this is shown in two main parts. Uh, if you didn't know, Jesus is highly intentional about everything he did. He didn't do anything by accident. He was... Um, he had so many prophecies about him, he wanted to answer and he wanted to bring clarity to everyone. And mustard was used, obviously, because one, it was a really small seed, but back in Israel, it was a really prolific plant, so really easy to understand what Jesus' imagery was in this parable. Um, this, though, has been a little bit of a cause of debate for some people, because supposedly it's not the smallest seed there ever was. Um, I was researched that the smallest seed is some really obscure little orchid, Sorry, a mustard seed's about 2 mil, and a little orchid thing is about 0.05 millimetres. And in comparison to that, that's the size of a piece of dust. And the whole purpose of Jesus, I assume he knew that this, well, he did know that that probably existed, but it was not a good imagery because you can't actually tell the difference between a piece of dust and a seed the size of a piece of dust. So that's why he used this one here. Because um, Jesus actually likes to talk about the same things as that quote talks about at the start. Otherwise, you're not actually going to grasp any form of understanding about what he's saying. Um, he wants it to be understood by all people, the uneducated and the educated. As 1 Corinthians 4, 30, uh, 14, 33 says, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, as in all the church, churches of the saints. It's the same as if someone wanted to talk about an invasive New Zealand plant species and talked about purple uh, loose strife as a plant. Does anyone know what that is? I just Googled it, the most obscure thing I could think about. See, no one knows what it is, and no one knows where it grows, what it looks like, how big it gets, what it does to the environment. But if I talked about gorse, do we all know what gorse is? Yeah, yeah cool, sweet. So, gorse, how big it is, what it looks like, where it goes, and what it feels like to be pricked by it. It's a real awful way. So, that's the whole purpose. Jesus doesn't want confusion. He wants everyone to understand what he's saying. And that's so that, for two reasons that I got from that, is that we are all welcome in the kingdom, of God, the kingdom of God because the stories he says and he speaks about are understood by everyone. He's not doing it so that a select group of people will understand. You don't have to have a certain level of intelligence. Everyone knows what he's going on about, which is the whole purpose. And the second is that, obviously, we're the seed. We can grow from something so small into something so big, and God wants us to know that we are enough. We just need to give him permission to work through us. So question two what is the kingdom of God? If you go to the next one, Johnny. Oh, look at that. I should have brought it down a bit. There you go. So using my baseline knowledge and adding on top of that the research that I've done, I, um, the biblical definition for the kingdom of God, or as Matthew puts it, the kingdom of heaven, which are um, interused, they're the same thing, is the reality where God reigns as king. It is a reality. Or the fulfillment of God's will on earth. Um, the main focus when I think of those definitions is the place in which God's will is outworked. 
which is us, his community, his people, his kids. We are the place where God's will is outworked. And I wrote this down, and I thought it was quite cool, actually. So uh, <laughs> I'll read it out specifically. A king does not exist without a kingdom of people, and the will of a king cannot be outworked without loyal people who agree and take action according to said will. So that's where a kingdom, uh, a king's um, will is outworked is in us. So I've got 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 21 on there, which says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use and some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he'll be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. So to use um, this... Uh, scripture as imagery for the kingdom of God, the house represents the kingdom, its space, and within it, the, we are the vessels that are inside. Some of us are set apart for occasions of honour, and sometimes we're not, and that's the representation between the gold and silver vessels and the wood and clay ones. And the gap between being a uh, wooden or clay vessel or a gold and silver vessel is repentance or cleansing in Jesus which sounds a lot like an opposite statement to what I was talking about, the equality of the understanding, the message of God. But what the difference there is that God wants us to be useful in his kingdom. Um, he wants us to have our lives, and I'll use a big word, consecrated to him. Um, <laughs> massive word. Um, which is another way of saying that we are supposed to live this life in relationship with him. Because God is an extremely relational father, and he wants us to be useful um, and that's demonstrated in Romans 5, 8, where it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. We didn't earn anything. He just loved us the whole time. It's the same as being a parent. Um, your kids can do some of the most annoying things. They can, I don't know why, they're the people you love the most, but you're so frustrated by them at times. And it doesn't, uh, as Ben McGregor puts it, if they do a poonami, and it just goes everywhere. You have to change their clothes. You have to change the sheets. You have to wipe the floor. You still love them. Um, but there's these extra moments, especially when they're getting older, and you've been telling them the same thing on repeat, and they actually start to do it, especially when they do it voluntarily, um, and they're not seeking a reward. In that moment, they've actually consecrated their actions to the teaching of me and Livy as their parents. They are understanding the purpose of being kind to one another, to putting their dishes in the dishwasher, to cleaning up after themselves. They're consecrating their actions because they see the value in what we've been telling them, and they actually start to put into practice. Um, go forward two slides, I think, Johnny. Cool. Oh, it's not coming out the way. I'll read these out. Question three. What does Jesus require of us as individuals to see the kingdom of God um, in our time? So I've got here, um, if you read the start of, I think it's Matthew's Gospel here, it actually goes back to before Jesus was born and he talks about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's phrase that he used um, in his teachings was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, Jesus used that quite a lot. Um, but the one time he adds this little bit extra on is when he's actually speaking to the disciples. And he says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. So, according to psychologists, um, change comes in five main steps. They are awareness, contemplation, 
experience, action, and maintenance. And as, as I uh, was looking into what Jesus said and looking into what uh, modern-day people think is change, I saw a correlation, so that's why I'm talking about it. So if we go to the next slide, the first of these is awareness. Um, and as awareness, I'll, I'll say this, oh, it's a little bit small, but um, this is a quote from a lady called Flannery, oh, yeah, Flannery O'Connor. And if you can think about her name, she's a little bit old school. She was an American um, novelist from the 40s and 50s. And I'll read this out twice because it just doesn't sit in my head properly because it's written backwards in my brain. But what she says about awareness is to know oneself is above all to know what one lacks. It is, me- it is to measure oneself against the truth and not the other way around. I'll read it again. To know oneself is above all to know what one lacks. It is to measure oneself against the truth and not the other way around. As she states, um, the knowledge of ourselves is not only important, but it is most important to know what our weaknesses are. Um, And it's really hard to have your weaknesses shown when you're by yourself um, because it's real easy to ignore them and it's real easy to flat out just pretend they don't exist, which I do to myself. And what you actually need to have your weaknesses revealed is to be in a community. It is to be in a place where people can challenge you, where you can have discussions, where you can actually um, have someone else's opinion and consider that and then add that to what you know or what your experience is. Um, And, yeah, that is done through community. Slide number two uh, is contemplation. And I've written this down as knowing the words of God. Um, In the same way, yes, one of our instructions is to read God's word and to know it, to be imprinted on our hearts. But the second is for it to actually be digested in community because so many times someone can have one idea or one aspect of it because they're bringing their own history to what's happened and then another time there's someone else bringing their own history and it's trying to figure out what the truth is, the matter is, when you're reading it together. Um, Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, Which is why we come to church. It's why we have home groups or prayer nights. It's why we have lunches. It's why we're hospitable to people around us, to people we know and to people we don't know. It's because we want to be living this life and not settling for anything less. Um, Yeah, God designed us to live a life of community displayed all the way through the Bible with Adam and Eve, Moses and Aaron, Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy, and you can keep going on and on and on. Um, We're meant to gain perspectives in these um, conversations and in these places to see what God's heart really is. Um, which is why I'm really glad that not everyone's the same. If everyone was the same as me, um, there'd be way too much optimism and way too much enthusiasm in a place. Yeah, I'd be happy, but no one would really know what was going on. Um, I, the imagery I have for myself is there's that meme of that little dog sitting in his dining table and it says, this is fine, except all around him the house is on fire. <laughs> I, I think I can be optimistic in every situation, but that doesn't actually always help. You need those practical people next to you to actually give you some strong words of, uh, this is 
maybe a different way to deal with the situation or to deal with something, which is uh, what Livy is for me. Um, Nick and I often, <laughs> Nick and I often uh, will plan to hang out together, our families, and we'll talk and we'll get all hyped up about it. We'll get, um, yeah, jazzed up about whatever we're going to do. Then we actually finally talk to our wives about it and they come up with about 16 different reasons as to why it can't happen because they actually know what's going on. <laughs> um, I'll give us, maybe we get it right 5% of the time, but that's probably a little bit too graceful, actually, to be honest. So we actually need to have the perspectives of others to challenge our understanding, to have a deep-rooted faith in Jesus. And the third of these, oh, sorry, the third of the five, next slide, Johnny, is experience. Um, Experiencing the love of God is paramount in our walk with Jesus because Jesus himself is love. Experiencing God's agape love of him is done through the Holy Spirit and relationship with him. So the first two are like head knowledge. Head knowledge is not enough. We have to have head knowledge and the experience of God. Um, That's where we have the revelations of knowing him personally and knowing him relationally. Um, John 15, 13 says, At its heart, the love of God isn't some sentimental emotion, Instead, it is life-saving. It is eternity-transforming action. Eternity-transforming action is the kingdom of God. That is why we are to know his love and let it transform us so that when we are hospitable, when we meet with others, that can rub off on them and they can see something different and we can have a conversation and grow together. Awareness, the first three, awareness, contemplation, and experience are the three modern-day steps Applied to our, when applied to our lives biblically, actually leads us to a moment and we have to decide whether we repent and change, which it simply means to go from where we are to walking the way Jesus is, or we can actually decide to stay the same, which is uh, fine as well. But Jesus, his heart is for us to repent and follow him. He wants sheep that follow him. Um, the next slide here is action. So this is the first... I've done it in terms of um, believing, as Jesus gave this little extra to his disciples. Um, Eugene Peterson, he's a pretty famous dude. He's a um, pastor, not a pastor, pastor and an author from the US. And his um, quote is, being in God's story does not mean passively letting things happen to us. It doesn't mean dumb submission or obedience. Um, Belief in Jesus is to have actions and words associated with what he actually teaches. Um, the next, if you, Johnny, if you go to this um, other one I was telling you about that next out of the slides to the image at the bottom. This here. Um, this is called the Valley of Elah. Has anyone heard of this place before? Nick, or, yeah, Nick has, there you go. Um, this is a pretty basic, boring-looking place. Um, it's... Um, a picture I have is my background at work, and the reason I have it is this is actually the place where David killed Goliath. Um, this is a place that looks so ordinary. It's the same as my workplace. It's a white box. Some people have been in my office. It's a white box, and it's so uninspiring, and I don't like sitting in it. But I know that God wants me to be used in those ordinary places, and that's what this is. This is where David actually said yes to what God had called him into, and he, he slay a giant as a little boy, and he defeated an entire army just by being faithful to what God called him to. 
the prayer that I pray really often for myself is, God, use me. I want to be more useful to you. Um, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer, but know that with that, you're going to be challenged. It's scary sometimes to pray something like that. And I know I've been praying it for myself for about six months, and God has put before me situations where I would have otherwise shied away from, but where I actually had to step up like David and go, actually, God, you're with me. It's not about what I can do. It's about what you can do through me. And um, I was thinking about that. It's, it's kind of like Alexander the Great. He's the great uh, war general. Greek? Yeah. <laughs> Some say, look at my brother. He knows what he's going on. Um, the, he, unlike any other general in his time, he actually was fighting on the front lines with his armies. He wasn't hanging back for the other leaders. He's like, no, I want to be stuck and I want to be up the front. And in this world, that's what Jesus is doing. He's up the front with us. And that's where I want to be too. I want to be shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. I want to be stepping forward in his kingdom. And I want to be seeing um, his kingdom move forward with his love and with his power. Um, That doesn't mean that I have to be here doing sermons or that I have to be giving prophetic words for people or praying. Um, it also means that I really want to be a good husband. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good son, a good leader, and a good friend. So that in all of my actions, Jesus' heart is reflected to those around me. (laughs) Mm. So if you want to, I invite you to pray that same prayer. It's scary, but it's awesome. If you go to the next slide, back in the PowerPoint, Johnny. (coughs) Lastly is maintenance. Um, Going back to Hebrews 10 again, so from action to maintenance. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another. Actually, I won't bother reading again. You can see it. Um, But as Amy shared last week, there are so many things designed to draw our attention from meeting together. Um, God knows we're weak when we're alone. That's why he made Eve for Adam. That's why in the parable of the 99 sheep and the one, he leaves the one knowing that the 99 together are strong enough to leave so that he can rescue the weak one. So keep meeting together because also, scarily, the enemy knows that as well. And he wants us to be, when we're isolated, we're weak, and he knows that. And he knows that that's where he has the most power. Um, So the kingdom of God is when his people are moving together under his banner, side by side with him, stepping forward. Um, R.C. Sproul describes it a bit better. He says, the only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. Um, My last slide, I think, Johnny, is Daniel 2.44. It says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor the kingdom shall be left to another people, and it shall stand forever. This isn't for anyone else. We are the good seed. We need to be willing to accept his instruction, accept his Holy Spirit, accept living together, to work the ground together, to see his kingdom come forth 
individually in our hearts and also in our city, in our country, and in the world. Um, <laughs> I wrote down, um, this is, sorry, just the end here. Um, I, in doing this, praying God be useful to me, I don't necessarily like sharing things from the front, um, but God's kind of had to make me okay with it because he needs his sheep to have a voice. And one of the things in preparation for this, if uh, Johnny, let's see if we can go back a few slides to that Timothy verse. I don't know where I put it. There you go. Um, where it says, uh, vessels of gold and silver and of wood and clay. Um, I'll hand it over to Nick and he can close with however he feels is necessary. But one thing that I felt that I had to say was that some of us felt as if we were vessels of gold once upon a time or vessels of silver once upon a time and we were useful in God's kingdom um, but for whatever reason we've become tarnished or the way that I used to think about this because I used to struggle with this was that um, there wasn't enough space on those top shelves for, for everyone to be vessels of gold and you feel like you've been knocked off. Um, I felt like there's some people that may want a bit of prayer for this and knowing that um, you are worthy um, God can make you clean again you're not tarnished um, and there is space for you and there's space for everyone else in that, um, that wants to seek his repentance so if that's you I'd love to pr pray for you at the end um, and I'll pass it back on to you Nick and you can close in whatever way you see is fit